Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org. Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Jean Till, and on today's show, we're visiting with Christina Schauer, Director of Clinical and Professional Development at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center, to discuss health care and veterans. Very appropriate as we anticipate tomorrow's uh, Veterans Day in our country, always uh, coinciding with the Feast of St. Martin of Tours, uh, the soldier become Christian and, and pacifist in that way, but uh, that sense of the, the nobility of our Christian dignity, but then also those who uh, offer themselves in service and sacrifice for our country. So uh, looking forward to that conversation with her. Again, this month of November unfolds in a beautiful way. I think I have my last confirmation of the season this past Monday at Holy Trinity Parish in you Des Moines. You think that's left? There'll be a little pause until February, uh, late January. So uh, uh, appreciating that. And, of course, Advent uh, will be around the corner very quickly. Uh, and all these great feasts again, the Lateran Basilica yesterday, uh, St. Leo the Great coming up next week, and, and so the, all these marvelous feasts, St. Albert the Great uh, as well. Uh, continuing to look at how uh, we want to cultivate connections in Christ, to create moments of encounter, uh, to lead people into friendship with Jesus that will lead and then to our communion with each other as well. And that's uh, the whole uh, uh, aspiration of our strategic vision, our sense of being evangelists who continue to go out and bring and sow seeds of the Spirit in the lives of other people. And we know the fields, uh, not just of southwest Iowa, but uh, of the upper Midwest in a particular way, uh, that the work is there. And uh, how on everyone's heart is the, uh, the uh, spiritual welfare, the flourishing in faith of our young people, young children, but particularly young adults. And uh, if we didn't have a sense of mission and what lies before us and the challenges, I think Ryan Burge's study here, and, you know, drawing from the cooperative election study, a, a sizable pool of people around the country, but really documenting, you know, what is this phenomenon of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, mm-hmm. those who are either professed atheists or agnostics, but more likely just simply not affiliating with any kind of organized faith community in a way, no explicit. And he really tracks something in a way that should get our attention uh, between the years 2008 and 2022, uh, so fairly recent data, how this continues to be a phenomenon that rises and is really pervasive. Uh, you know, we don't just think of the coasts, you know, or left and right coasts, but is present even in the, in the upper Middle West, uh, where as in uh, 2008, 27% in Iowa, uh, self-identified as among the nuns, uh, 26% in Nebraska, a little bit uh, similar numbers in the other states of Kansas, Missouri. Surprisingly, a little bit lower in Minnesota. That's maybe a little counterintuitive. You that know, is counterintuitive. In the populous state there that maybe, and uh, no surprise in the Dakotas, except maybe the South Dakota is uh, fairly similar to, to Kansas in this regard. But c- roll around to 2022. So last mm-hmm. year, Iowa, 40% identify mm. as nuns. In other words, not identifying with any faith community. Mm-hmm. Likewise, in Kansas, Nebraska, just a little bit lower at 38%. And Minnesota, again, lower at 36%. So I don't know if it's so staunch uh, Lutherans or what it may be, or just the, kind of the presence of the Catholic Church there. Uh, so Iowa, uh, sadly, a little bit higher than even places like Illinois, Wisconsin, and, and Missouri. So uh, 
Uh, if that doesn't uh, charge us to, mm-hmm. to be on fire with the Holy Spirit and to bring the Jesus to, to others and to really try to, to be in those unconventional venues where young adults may be and how culture, this desire for service, but to be authentic in who we are, that our lives would give witness in a, in a consistent way and it would hang together. I think the Pope's recent exhortation on Laudate Deum, you know, the, the passion that many of our young people have for stewardship of our environment, their concerns for global climate change. Uh, I hope the Pope's message uh, resonates with them mm-hmm. and says that the church, too, has a, has a heart and mind that is oriented to what God is asking of us now and where is our real treasure and uh, is it in what we have or is it who we are? You know, we give to uh, the world what we have, but we give to God who we are. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll visit with Christina Schauer, the Director of Clinical and Professional Development at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center, to discuss health care and veterans. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Support for programming comes from M Squared Spa in West Des Moines. Catholic-owned and operated, Mary McDermott offers massage therapy and aesthetic services to help people achieve whole-body wellness. Learn more at msquaredspa.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio comes from Westgate Dental, offering cosmetic, family, implant, and general dentistry. Located at 1073rd Street, Suite 1 in West Des Moines, just behind Dowling Catholic High School. Learn more at westgatedentalia.com. Support for programming provided by Trappist Caskets, a work of the monks of New Mallory Abbey in Piasta, Iowa. Embracing an honest approach to death can more readily affirm the real meaning of life. Trappist caskets and urns are made in the prayerful environment of the monastery using Iowa-grown wood from the Abbey's sustainable forest. Each casket and urn is blessed by a monk. Quietly laboring with their hands for 175 years, the monks offer workmanship at the pinnacle of woodworkers' craft, available for immediate delivery or as a part of a pre-planning program. Learn more at trappistcaskets.com. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. And on today's show, we're visiting with Christina Schauer, Director of Clinical and Professional Development at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center to discuss health care and veterans. So pleased to have you with us, Ms. Schauer, and I'll call you Christina with your permission. Uh, just really, I think, coinciding with Veterans Day, but the scope of who you are, your mission and ministry, your work at the, the Mercy One system located there in Dubuque. And uh, just uh, being able to be in Dubuque uh, a few weeks ago for the installation of Archbishop Zincula, uh, the uh, the Mississippi River Valley and the tri-state area, uh, it has its own charm uh, that just uh, it never fades. So uh, so good to be with you and uh, that a big event for the, the life of the church, but the, the collaboration of mercy and its mission of, of health care and uh, the spirituality that's that's part of this. So, you know, you envisioned being uh, in in a healthcare setting when you were younger, or how did this kind of unfold in your your story that led you as a, a college student and then uh, into the service and then uh, you know in in harm's way and all that's part of that. So, just some facets for our listeners there that uh, you'd like to to strike. Yeah. So, um, actually, I originally got into healthcare because my aunt was an LPN and she worked at a long-term care facility here in Dubuque. And uh, when I was young, I, I was working uh, at a gas dock at a marina, which, you know, in the fall, <laughs> uh, 
that were, was, were the tips good there? Were they did they tip you well or not? They tipped me very well. Yes, it was a great job. Uh, but business gets a little slow after summer ends. And, the ice, uh, so the ice fishermen don't need a whole lot of fuel then. Huh? No, 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 not so much. <laughs> and so my aunt talked me into um, taking a job as a CNA at the long term care facility here, and I did. And I really didn't have any intention of working in healthcare before that, but I just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and so as I went through high school and started thinking about college, I knew I wanted to get my bachelor's of science in nursing and the military came along as a kind of an avenue for me to use to get that education that I wanted. So, um, I took the recruiter up on the offer in 1999 and, um, I guess the rest is history. I went to school at Northern Illinois after I finished basic training and AIT is what we call it. It's advanced individual training. It's where we learn our, our job, which mine was a combat medic. So you were not in the reserves or ROTC per se. You were actually full, fully in in the military. Right? Oh, oh no, sorry. We, I was in the reserves. So okay. in 1999, yep, I joined the Army Reserves. And so that allowed me to, I would do um, a drill once a, once a month on the weekends and then two weeks out of the summer. And I was able to go to college and, and do everything else kind of on my off time from the military. Okay, mm-hmm. and and so obviously the options uh, for professional development and education. Did you see yourself getting uh, you know called up? Uh, that you know, I mean, obviously Iraq one was in the past. Maybe that was distant history for you as a young woman. But uh, there we are. Yeah, no, I never. I, I really, I you know, I was. 17 actually at the time and probably very naive and and we were at peace at that time you know in 1999 we we didn't see what was going to happen in 2001 you know it was so long ago it's hard to sometimes remember that history but i vividly you know as we all do we remember 9-11 i i remember thinking like wow this this definitely changes the trajectory of my military career um and then in 2003 when i was a sophomore um at nursing school at, at Northern Illinois University. That's when I got the call. It was Valentine's Day weekend, and they said, we need you to report for an emergency drill next weekend. And that was really all the information they could give me at the time. So I finished my week at school, you know, wrote my papers because I didn't want to fail out of my semester if I didn't get sent over there. But, uh, yeah, they had us take a knee as soon as we got to the drill center that morning, and they said, you're, you're headed to Southwest Asia. And... I feel like you could have heard a pin drop, you know, it was definitely a powerful moment in my life. I'll always remember that. Mm. Yep. From there, we spent the next three months drilling every day, um, getting ready to go from, you know, vaccinations to just supplies, a lot of inventorying. Um, And then in May, so I don't know how, you know, if every, how well everyone remembers the history. I've had to look it up myself quite a few times, but in early May, that's when they declared the end of major combat operations over there in 2003. Mm. And I think it was May 12th. Um, it was the day after Mother's Day. We were on a plane headed over to Kuwait. We spent a few weeks there acclimating to the heat, and then we convoyed up to Baghdad, Iraq, um, at the beginning of June, where we spent the next year. So, you know, all right, you know, official operations, combat operations yeah. ceasing, but the, that didn't mean that uh, there wasn't still, you know, tensions and, and armed conflict that was going on. And right. technically as a medic, not a combatant, but as mm-hmm. the, the documentation will show, 300,000 women served in Iraq during mm-hmm. that war. And that distinction between combatant and non-combatant was maybe a distinction without a difference at that time. Yeah, and that is one thing with this war that, you know, was definitely made clear is that, 
you know, one, just as you said, the end of major combat operations doesn't mean the end of combat. Um, we were, we continued to be in combat for 20 years between Iraq and Afghanistan. But um, in that particular war, the lines between combat and non-combat were just not defined at all. And so you had transporters, you had, it didn't matter what your role was, people, whether they were in combat roles or not, they were engaging in combat typically at least at some point during their deployment. Hmm. And in, in the midst of all this, and you say it was one year, but uh, what an intense year it was. Uh, was this kind of affirming your, your vocation to, to, to health care, uh, your sense here, and, you know, the things that you saw, perhaps uh, some of the grisly and horrific things, uh, but uh, the discipline of the military, the valor that emerges and the solidarity, the spirit. Uh, was it kind of a, a best of both worlds and yet also the worst of things kind of uh, wrapped up together? Yeah, you know, I think that serving in the military did really give me, um, there, there are a lot of parallels in the military and then in healthcare. You know, obviously that, like, that feeling you get when you're serving, I think is, it's hard to, it's hard to beat that feeling. That's such a good feeling. Um, I think the camaraderie is kind of similar um, in healthcare and in the military. Obviously in the military, it's, you know, a lot more intense because you're actually living and, and, and eating and, and doing everything that you do in your life with these same people um, without ever going back to your own family. But I, I do feel that same sense of camaraderie in healthcare as well and just the importance of the team and every cog in the wheel doing what they need to do. Um, I, I think that my time in the military especially, I, I reflected on it a lot during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially in the early days. Mm. Um, you know, I, I would compare that, you know, the, the first little bit of data that we got about what we could expect with the COVID-19 pandemic back in March of 2020, you know, I could compare that to the way it felt to hear I was getting sent overseas. Um, but then also just the importance of being able to be, just stay on task. You don't just, you're, you're, you're on a mission with all of these people. Everyone's doing their best, all working collaboratively. Systems, the importance of getting systems in place. I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels Mm. And so you speak of a kind of esprit de corps that uh, arises, but obviously also the, 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 the psychic cost of that for, for folks, uh, you, you refer to you know, kind of the discipline, but then also the processes that will enable people to, to fulfill their, their role, their mission, that, and that's something you can have a kind of knack for. But how much does the, the psychological and the spiritual, uh, were you not just attending to yourself, but attending to others uh, in the midst of the pandemic and uh, drawing from your experience in, in combat? That's a hard question. It's <laughs> a Johnson-esque <laughs> question, but, uh, you know, no, I mean, it's so, um, you know, in the midst of all of this, you know, the, uh, the, the spiritual and psychological, you know, the drain on the human side, mm -hmm. but how then did you see that your particular niche, your insights and uh, practical skill set, you know, that you could do things to, to make processes that, that with, internally within the staff, but then for, for the patients and the veterans who are coming to you at Mercy? I think that the biggest um, probably translation of, of that was when we did the, um, the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. So really, um, the way that our whole organization came together, despite being tired and fatigued and, and in some cases burnt out from what we had experienced during, during you know, the, the peak of the pandemic, 
um, in, in the surge of patients, especially in the fall of 2020, to see everybody come together in early 2021 to make sure that we could get a life-saving vaccine to the patients that really wanted it as quickly as possible, um, safely as possible, efficiently as possible. I feel like there were a lot of there were a lot of things I saw and in, in a lot of skills that we learned in the military that we put into place to make that happen. You know, it wasn't, I think in the civilian side of life, a lot of times we, um, we offer a lot of choices and I think that that's, that's great. And that's important. You know, we want to give that personalized care for sure. Um, but there are certain times in times of crisis where you have to really focus on a process and, and getting everybody moving with that process in order to accomplish, you know, a lot in a little bit of time safely. Um, and so I think it, the way that our team pulled together throughout the pandemic, not just with the vaccines, but, but with everything during the pandemic was um, very similar. Well, well, uh, bravo, you know, for all that you, you've done there. And then, uh, obviously, uh, President Kay Takis of Mercy looks to you and is entrusted with you a lot. Um, maybe kind of then talking about the, the role and the engagement, the services provided, particularly to those who've been in the military. You know, I think as a kind of a layman in this regard, I would simply say, well, isn't that the VA's job? Don't they, you know, and yeah. go go to Iowa City or, you know, Knoxville or, you know, some of the, the you know, Des Moines, Moines. Des Moines mm-hmm. you know, the, right. the services that are provided there. Uh, but Mercy is very much and that's uh, you've spearheaded a lot of those efforts. Yes. Yeah, so, um yeah, we started our military and veteran health care program just right before the pandemic, actually, in the fall of uh, 2019. And I'd love to take credit for having this, you know, creating this brainchild. But really, it came from Dr. Van Coots, who was a um, he's a CEO of Holy Cross Health, which is a hospital within Trinity Health. So we're part of a, a really large hospital system across the nation. So it started in there, um, but Kay Takis being, she's very passionate about caring for veterans. She volunteered Mercy One Dubuque to be the pilot site for Iowa to roll out this MilVet program. And um, I think that I learned a lot. I learned a lot with the rollout, and I think what, what you just mentioned was one of the things that I, I learned is that it is a, a big misconception that most veterans are using the VA. Um, so... I've seen different statistics ranging from 30% to 50%, but really in the end, over half of veterans are getting all or most of their care in the community and not the VA, whether it's because they're not eligible for benefits or for just a variety of reasons. Maybe they have other types of payers that maybe it's, they're just choosing to not use the VA. But really the thing that we have to take away from that is that we're serving a lot of veterans without one identifying them, at least this was pre pre program. People are not hospitals are not identifying that they have served mm. or that they are currently serving or that they might be a spouse or a child of a service member. And then also there's not really a good there was not prior to this program a good way of ensuring that the people caring for these patients in the hospital setting, the community hospital setting, are educated on those specific, you know, um, needs of the veterans based on the experiences and the exposures that they've had. So how also, oh, please go, please continue. I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, and well I was gonna mention in the the last piece of it is understanding what resources are available in the community for the vets because we're not here to um uh, we, we're here to partner with the VA. We're not in competition for the VA's patients. We want to partner with the VA because really in the end what we want to make sure is that patients have great access to quality health care um, and that they have continuity. And so if we can, you know, some of those patients that maybe are currently not 
not receiving benefits that they are eligible for, we want to make sure that we're connecting them to those. And so that requires a lot of community partnerships as well. Okay. And just, uh, you know, my uh, layman's understanding, but do they, are you able as an institution to understand this affiliation by, if they're, you know, sending benefit requests to TRICARE for Life or other uh, organizations like that? Ah, we've got a veteran on our hands. Mm -hmm. Yes. So as of 2019, that was a big part of our rollout is we... We made it so that whatever the point of entry was for the veterans or the service members or all patients, wherever their point of entry was, they would be asked um, if they are currently serving, if they have ever served. We try not to use the word veteran when we're asking this because there are some veterans that maybe don't identify themselves as a veteran. You know, some veterans will think... um, you know, I, oh, I didn't serve in a wartime. So, you know, sometimes people struggle with that title. Um, and so we want to make sure, like, if you, if you have ever served in the military, we want to know. Um, and, and for the record, whether you served in a war or did not serve in a war, you absolutely do deserve that title. But um, mm-hmm. we also want to know if they are a spouse of a veteran because, you know, a, a, a veteran is not acting solely on their own. You know, this is definitely a family, a family affair when you are in the military um, and then a child of a veteran. Mm. Um, and so that was, that was huge. And that really opens up a lot of doors because of course it doesn't matter what kind of education you have or what kind of community resources you have. If you don't know who the veterans are in your facility, then you, you can't help them. And if I use myself as an example, I, um, throughout my entire time, um, you know, receiving care since I've been home, I did use the VA a little bit early on, and then I did not use it for a long time, and I have started going back to the VA now for some of my care. But on the civilian side, I was never asked about my military service, whether I was receiving, you know, prenatal care for my children or, um, or having my, you know, respiratory issues looked at. Okay. Um, no one ever asked me, um, and I never knew, truthfully, even as a nurse, I didn't really understand that I should be telling them that until now. (laughs) So, Christina, thank you, and it's very instructive for our listeners. So we're going to take a little pause here, Jean. Mm -hmm. Stay with us as we continue our conversation with Christina Schauer, Director of Clinical and Professional Development at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop, priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsarah.org, joinserra.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio comes from Catholic United Financial, a member-owned, not-for-profit financial services company that connects, protects, and generously impacts the families, parishes, and schools in Iowa communities. For over 145 years, Catholic United has helped build stable and secure financial futures for Midwest families. Learn more about how Catholic United Financial can help you and your local parish. Contact Tara Weiss or Peter Orm at 1-800-568-6670 or visit catholicunitedfinancial.org. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. We're talking about benefits to the VA for our veterans. And let's uh, let's give you that website. It's va.gov backslash the pact, 
P-A-C-T, ACT, A-C-T, and your VA benefits. That is a mouthful. It is. So uh, hopefully mm-hmm. uh, listeners got it. And if uh, they get part of it, probably it'll come up on Google when they do yep. their search. So to round that out. But uh, uh, Christina, you're not just a, a tri-state woman. I mean, your profile and your various involvements on a national level with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, uh, advocacy at the, with our legislature, legislators in Washington. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And uh, you, know, you want to make sure that this is not just something, but to all of our listeners in the uh, Spirit Catholic Radio, Iowa Catholic Radio area that they might have accessibility. Yes. So um, I have been really fortunate um, in, in one through, you know, Mercy One to you know, have their support and advocating for veterans. And then also with uh, a group called the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And just last week, I spent some time in Washington, D.C., talking to a lot of different legislators about, um, you know, some of our, our policy priorities. And one of the biggest priorities that I think just about every, you know, veteran service group or veteran service officer um, association has right now is implementing the PACT Act. So the PACT Act was really a historical legislation that was passed in August of 2022 that really expanded benefits for service members who were exposed to toxins, radiation, and other types of things. And this greatly expanded benefits, not only for um, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, but for veterans of the Gulf War and for Vietnam veterans. And I think one thing that I was just, I, I would really kind of like to um, stress is with the, those, the Vietnam veteran population, as well as survivors of, um, of veterans from any war, um, the Vietnam veteran uh, expansion, it added a couple of new conditions to um, the presumptive list, which presumptives are things that if you were in a certain location at a certain time and you suffer from a certain condition, you are eligible for these certain benefits. It's assumed it came from your military service. The onus is off the service member to prove that. Vietnam veterans, it was the geographic locations that expanded quite a bit. So previously, you had to be in Vietnam or in the waters surrounding Vietnam, very close to it. It has expanded to areas like Laos, um, Guam, Thailand. Um, a lot of a lot of people are probably now eligible for these benefits that in the past they may have been de- denied. Um, and I think getting that information out not only to the veterans, but to those surviving spouses, surviving family members that also could be eligible for these benefits now is very important to everybody. Well, and that's an essential message and kind of a public service that you, you offer and that through, through Iowa Catholic Radio, we're able to to help uh, extend that awareness. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not one to shine a light on yourself, but if uh, the truth may be told, the recognition that came your way, Iowa Hospital Association named you a hospital hero, not only your work with veterans, uh, your tri-state woman warrior support group for women veterans. Uh, you're working with uh, even STEM teachers uh, and other uh, other facets of, of the community. Yes, so... Um, I've got about a minute I, left, so yes. here we go. <laughs> all, all, yeah, all I can say about that really is that it, it's hard to accept an award when you know that everybody that works in the hospital deserves an award like that. Everybody has gone above and beyond well, for decades, but especially for, for, for since since the beginning of time, really, uh, but especially in the last three years. Um, but yes, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to, to do those types of things in the role that I have here, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for the recognition. Wow. And, uh, and and high school teachers who get the exposure and learning, you know, kind of hopefully animating their, their sense of a vocation as well. 
And mm-hmm. we know that the, you know, the need is there, uh, not the, the PTSD, the effects of Agent Orange. I was uh, relating to a woman in Parish who lost her husband recently. Jean, we know that's touched your family mm-hmm. also. So thank you for the work that you're doing, Christina, you and your team, your colleagues, uh, to, to bless and to, to offer healing, to offer that accompaniment that uh, is part of our faith, but is just a part of being human and realizing that uh, right to health care, which uh, St. John Paul talks about in the Gospel of Life. So blessings to you. Thank you very much, Bishop Johnson. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and to all of our listeners in Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, or wherever you may be listening to Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.